ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome back. Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. It's the day after, and the cold season is officially over. Uh, they went down 27-24 to 24 to the Buffalo Bills on Saturday. And it's weird, Zach, right? You know, the, the NFL, like I've been covering the NFL a long time, as, as have you, and we were just talking about this offline. <laughs> you lose, and that's it. Season's over, yeah. like in a flash. And then here we are today and, you know, long faces on Zoom talking to the, some of these players. It, it just never really – you never really get used to, like, the immediacy of a season just, boom, ending. You know, when you – when as a fan, I'm sure you invest all those hopes into it and then, like, boom, that's it. It's over. But anyway. Especially after this one, don't you think? Like, it's yeah. not like they couldn't be playing next week in Kansas City. Like, it's not that far mm-hmm. of a stretch to say that they should have won that game. We'll get into all this, but – Man, yeah, because if they the had game, all the ingredients of the upset yesterday. Yeah, if the game would have gone the way many anticipated it would have, maybe today's a little easier because then exactly. you're figuring, yep, yeah, you know what? We got what we deserved. Uh, they're not that good. Whatever, right? And, and we talked about this on our last podcast, in fact. I, I really I thought about this and watching the game. I was like, man, we were on it. And I wasn't like patting myself on the back. It was just like, man, I just, I thought that might be the case, and it was true. And what I mean by that is I talked about how this game could kind of shape how we see the team going forward, right? You know, if they go in there and they get completely destroyed, you're thinking, okay, they got to maybe think about drastic changes and maybe they're not as close as they think they are. But no, they go in there, they they outplay the Buffalo Bills, in my estimation, and they figured out a way to lose it. So that's on them. All right. Let's make sense of this, Zach. Um, where'd they lose the game? So I've had this thought this morning as I, I watched some tape of the game and I thought about it a little bit more. And, and I want to get your take on this as well. There's there's like two ways to slice this, right? Like, hey, they played great. They took one of the best teams in the NFL down to the last snap. They gave the Bills all they could handle. That's an MVP candidate. And, and they came up short. And, and, and that's pretty commendable, right? No, I'm not taking that approach this morning. They should have won this game. They could have won this game. And it's a damn shame they didn't because they deserve to in a lot of ways. But they also deserve to lose it because they beat themselves. And that's kind of what I wrote about is these were things they have done routinely this season. This game yesterday was the cold season in a nutshell. They're good enough to beat anyone and, and the Bills – were the, were the team they faced yesterday, but they're also good enough to beat themselves on any particular Sunday. And that's the shame of it because they could have been heading to Kansas City next week with a completely different vibe around this team, right? Because they can play pretty good defense. They can move the ball on offense. They can scheme you. And there's no excuse for them not to have won the game yesterday. That's where I'm at. You put up 472 yards of offense. You have nine drives that go into the Bills' territory. All nine of your real offensive drives, throwing out the one before halftime, go into Bill's territory. You get 100 yards from Michael Pittman in the air. You get 70 from Naheem Hines on the ground. Those are things you didn't expect to happen. You didn't turn the ball over once, and you lose. Field goal and you lose. Like, man, this is a game that's going to stick with them for a while. It showed you what they could have been, but it also showed you what they are. And that's a team that found a way to lose a game they should have won. Hmm. 
And, you know, what's interesting is a lot of the things that that they did to help themselves lose this game are not things that they typically do. You know, I thought the the drops, they have had some drops, but I don't yeah. think they've had an, an inordinate number of drops. Not this like year. yesterday. Not where it's it was Six obvious. or seven, depending on how you count them. And, I mean, that's just – that's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, if they – if you get it, it, a couple of those and you keep a couple drives going versus the outcome they had, it's maybe a different outcome. I mean, you didn't need like all of those things. You know, sometimes when you lose a game and you know you go back and you recount your mistakes, you you could have you can say a lot of times, all right, we needed to avoid all of those mistakes if we were going to win this game as a team. That's not what this was. This was like, okay, if you wouldn't have done like one or two of like eight or nine different things, you win the game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's not a stretch. I know we always talk about what a shoulda, coulda, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about like, no, like you're allowed to make mistakes, but like, had you made like one or two less, you're probably in the second round. And that's just the part. If I were them, I would be sick over. So it should be. Cause yeah. it's it, it, like, like Philip Rivers said yesterday, it's not like we were outmatched. And I don't think the Colts, like, we'll get into this, obviously. Like, I love the Colts' game plan on offense. There's a difference between play calls and the game plan. Yeah. I mean, they moved the ball. They put up 24 points, and they should have had a lot more. Um, it didn't feel like the Bills had figured something out that the Colts hadn't. The difference was the Bills didn't beat themselves. The Bills didn't make mistakes. The Colts played a really good game. Like, 80% of the game, they played really well. But that's the difference. That's what Frank Reich harped on with his team last week. This is going to come down to situational football. He knows this. He took Nick Foles to a Super Bowl, and they won that Super Bowl mainly because they made so much – they they had so much damage on those third and fourth downs. They, they were hot in the red zone, and that's why you win playoff games. And that's the shame of it for the Colts is they've had some shaky moments in the red zone this season, and it was never more apparent than yesterday. And that's what they're going to have to live with is this game was there for the taking. Yeah. So – you know, just to put a bow on that, I actually I actually think that over the course of the season, these were two really well coached teams generally, and w- and the way you determine that is, I think mistakes and efficiency and and things like that. They were both very good in those areas, and so it's no surprise that that the team that played better in that regard won the game. You know what I mean? And and that was the Bills. I think both of these teams have done a great job of preparing their players. Uh, from week to week. I mean, the Bills have some amazing talent, but I think there are also parts of their team where the talent's just okay. And I say that as well about the Colts. Like, same thing. They have some really high-end talent, and then they have other parts of their team where it's just like, all right, I like those pieces, but they're nothing special. And so it takes a collective effort, and it takes, you know, a a cohesive effort, and it takes good coaching and preparation to produce wins from that. And then both of these teams have and, and really efficient play from that. Uh, but the bills did a much better job of that yesterday. And, and that was frankly the difference in this game. Okay. So now let it, let's get to what everybody's talked about. We have all talked about for the last 12 to 18 hours, whatever it's been uh, 24 hours, excuse me. Uh, all right. Frank Reich, that, Late second quarter sequence, I think, is is where the conversation starts. There's some other questions as well, but there are going to be a lot of questions going forward. And I know this this is going to color a lot of people's view of Frank Reich this offseason. And that's fine. Like mm-hmm. that's what you have that right as a fan. What I want to discuss, you and I, is okay. 
the fact that Frank Reich went for the fourth down, like if you're surprised by that, then you have not been paying attention, first of all. So we're not surprised that he went for it. But we can also argue about the prudence of going for it and also the, the play calls in that situation. So they had a first and goal. Where was their first down? At what yard line? I guess what the, I think the one or two yard line, right? Yeah, so, they were right down. Naheem got right down there, I believe. Right. So from that point, you got to figure out a way to get in, right? So what do they do? They have a they have a wildcat play, I think, at one point with Naheem Hines. Um, they, what was the other play I'm thinking about? Oh, there was the, there was the, was there a toss to, um, to Trey Burton? Or am I confusing things? Yeah. I don't have to play I'm my just, play in front of me. My mind's just going straight to the third down. <laughs> I know. But my point is, they didn't. They weren't traditional in any in any of those four plays. I guess is what I'd say. And so now they get to third down. Let me ask you: What are your thoughts on just slamming it in there with Jonathan Taylor versus trying to get outside? And and I actually understand the rationale for why they ran the outside play, the outside toss. Mm-hmm. But did he overthink it? Yeah. So that's 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 the issue I have. I don't hate the fourth down call at all. The fourth I knew down they were call going was for it. money, actually. <laughs> Everybody out there knew they were going for it on fourth if they didn't get it on third. Some context here we got from Frank Reich after the game was, you know, they don't run a lot of outside runs. Like, we all know that. We watch this team every week. They just don't do those pitches very often. They thought the Bills would think the same thing. They're probably going to run it up the gut. Let's try to beat them to the outside. Frank Reich actually said he thought, it'd be a walk-in touchdown, which they got a little bit earlier in the game, right? When Taylor, I mean, barely was touched, but that was a, the middle. Um, he thought they would catch the Bills by surprise. The Bills knew it was coming. Here's my issue with it, and it's easy for me to say that Monday morning quarterback, but who were your lead blockers on that play? From watching the tape this morning, it was right receiver Ashton Doolin, and it was Valdir, the left tackle who's been on the team for two weeks. That's not your best chance of success. And I understand you're trying to surprise them, and maybe that's part of it. But Doolin whiffed, and Valdir held on for a minute, but then he lost his block, and it wasn't particularly close. That's why I don't like that play call. It's easy for me to say, just run it up behind Quentin Nelson, but sometimes I feel like Frank overthinks this. And, yeah, maybe the Bills are expecting that, but what do you do with your best player? Sometimes players just make the play. Sometimes you just run it behind your future Hall of Fame left guard and give it to your literally semi-truck of a running back. Taylor is a monster. Even when they had him behind the line of scrimmage yesterday, he would still move forward a yard or two. That's how you scored your first touchdown. I think they overthought it on third down. I like the call on fourth. But if you give it to Taylor on third, I think there's a good chance he gets in. You run it up the left side, and and even if he has to jump over the line, I think there's a good chance it happens. That's what I took issue with. Um, the fourth down was, you know, Rivers' throw could have been better. Michael Pittman said he could have he could have had it. He should have had it. Um, Rivers was killing himself for that because he knew what it would have done to the game. It would have made it 17 to 7. And that probably would have been the halftime score. And it just totally changes the tenor of the game. That was a huge missed chance. And I didn't think it was a great third, third down play call. So I went back and I looked at it and I saw some analysis of the third down call. It's, it's very interesting. I actually think. They kind of got what they wanted in terms the look of they wanted. yeah, but but here's what happened. Except for one thing, you know, I talked about coaching and preparation. I actually think the Bills players actually played this perfectly. And so, if you watch the play, I believe it's Zach Pascal. He goes in motion from the left side of the offense to the right at the last moment, 
And they're trying what they're trying to do there is eliminate one of those defenders from the left side. Because remember, they were they were sort of heavy on that side because I think they had three receivers over there. So what they did, or maybe two. And so what they did, the defense, the defense loaded up on that side, right? A little heavier that side. They're stronger there. So you're going to have more defenders there. So what you did was you put Zach Pascal in motion in order to bring one of those defenders with him to the other side. Except you can see it on the film. The defender doesn't do that. He realizes they're about to snap the ball. So what he does is he motions to the safety. Hey, get him. And he goes and takes Zach Pascal. And guess what? That defensive back stays home. And therefore, now what do you have? Now you don't have numbers if you're the Colts. You got an extra defender on that mm-hmm. side. And that blows up the play. So now you're Ashton Doolin, who's already, you know, and they're asking a lot of him as it is. But you've got a big, huge horse in Jonathan Taylor back there. So you're, you're thinking, okay, all he's got to do is get in front of a guy. Fine. And then you've got Valdir, who's out there, you know, trying to take on his guy. But he can't block two guys. <laughs> so you've got three on two. Really, you've got four on two. Because what you want is the one-on-one for Jonathan Taylor. You're thinking, okay, with a full head of steam, he's going to take his guy into the end zone as a tackler. Right. But they had... Two on one versus Taylor, and that he couldn't win. So that's really what happened. So I got to give the Bills players some credit. That was really, I think, savvy right there to say, okay, something's up. You get that guy. I don't buy it. And he didn't. And he yeah, was so right. He was I so right. Up the play. You're totally right. They moved Pascal in motion away from the pitch. The Bills don't bite at all. They know yeah. exactly where it's going. Their right defensive end moves in. Pass Valdir. That's 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 Doolin's responsibility. He misses, and like you said, it's it's just the Bills making a play. They get to him before he gets to the five. That's where the initial contact happens, and and the Bills are just like a wall waiting at the goal line. It, it's just it's just a failed play. So this is an interesting aspect of football. I I don't know. I kind of get nerdy about this stuff. Maybe most people don't care, but I think most most people's approach is I don't care. Bad call. Doesn't matter. And and I get that. I kind of I'm actually interested in this stuff. Why do they do what they do? Right. And I think it's important to hear those things and it, and it gives you an understanding. It doesn't mean you have to like it. I just think it's important. So I got some context on this and we've already talked about it. But I, I really think the tendency thing for Frank Reich is a huge variable with him. Now, whether whether he should play it up as much as he does, I don't know. I, I'm not the expert on that. I just know that tendencies matter and that for him, they're really important. Um, they, they do a lot of work, and they're not alone. Every team does this. But they do a lot of work as a staff on self-scouting, right? What, when, when the opponent scouts us, what do they see? Right. And, and it's important, right? Because they're going to game plan accordingly. So if you're Frank Reich, you're thinking, okay, this is what I was told. They've had only one goal line run to the outside score a touchdown this year. And they scored lots of touchdowns at the goal line. They were all straightforward runs. Isn't that something? One. Yeah. All season. And we watched every game. And, mm-hmm. and it did. Didn't it jump out but to you? Can you, you even like, remember oh. one? <laughs> I no. don't. No. <laughs> you know? It might have been Naheem. I don't even remember it. But, you know, so, so he's thinking, all right, if you're Leslie Frazier, Bill's defensive coordinator, and Sean McDermott, good defensive coach, and you're watching us on tape, why would you even play that, right? Why would you even... Why would you even scout for that? Because they never do it. So mm-hmm. it that's my thing is like I don't have to 
you don't have to say it's a good decision. I, but I want to know why you do it. And, and if you can explain on a logical level why you would do something, then I can make a better decision about whether you made a bad or good decision, you know? Uh, so, so it's interesting. I, I don't know. Um, but, but we could also argue, you know what? You got Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly and, you know, I would take my chances with those guys blocking the shit out of somebody, you know? So that's, that's the other side of the argument is who cares if they know what we're going to do? Yeah. You know? Sometimes it's, sometimes it's that simple. Like the bills were going to throw to digs yesterday. <laughs> no kidding. 28 yards. Like, right. I mean, I told you that <laughs> and I don't know anything. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that's, that's the hard part here is it, you can, appre- I can actually appreciate Frank Reich's like higher level thinking. I, I really appreciate that. Oh, it's that. fascinating. You know what I'm saying? I, I love, I love hearing about it too. Like yeah, how many I love times talking to him on Mondays and yeah. Right. How many times do we have like just fascinating discussions with him, you know? And, and the fact that he shares that, I think maybe, maybe we're partial to, to him a little bit because he actually shares what he thinks and why he does things. And most coaches don't. So <laughs> I, I admit that like that, that actually, that actually draws you in because now you, you get some understanding that you don't typically get with most coaches. Yeah. But, but at the same time, the fact of the matter remains, even besides that, the guy is freaking smart, like probably too smart. He should be doing something else to be completely honest. But, but I don't know, but sometimes does that get in the way? That's, that's a fair question. I don't know. It's does such it? Let me a ask tough. You. Yeah, does it's it? yeah. I think it's. I think it's. I think it does. I think you could say that objectively, and I think Frank would say that. I think when Frank watches the tape, he'll say that. It's really fascinating. They only ran one outside run in the red zone in those situations all year. Yet, let again. Sometimes football can be so simple. Sometimes you just let your best players go to work, and and that's what it is. And it, essentially, they 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 over they were overthought it. I really think and. Yeah, I'd assume you have no issues not kicking the field goal on fourth. I'm assuming you were like, they're going to uh, go for it. You know, but looking back, it's do, do you change that approach in the postseason? You know, I get that you can't just score field goals and, and beat Josh Allen, but the way you were controlling the game early, I wouldn't yes. have hated points there. You know, That's and, the thing. and I get, if you, and if I you get asked me that, yeah. you asked me that question. Sorry, if you asked me that question on Friday, I would have said, hell no, Josh Allen's going to put 38 on the board anyway. So. You know, no, no field goals. <laughs> but that game was playing out very differently. I don't know. You know what, what was your thought on that? What was your thought on that? Gosh, I don't know. Um, I don't it, hate it. It's so it. funny just, you cover this team long a conversation, enough. You know? Yeah, you, you cover this team long enough and, and you don't even think about it. You know Frank's going for it. I knew they were going for it on fourth down before they even snapped the ball on third down, whether they got it, you know, if they didn't get it, because that's just how he thinks. He was already thinking about the fourth down play call. The difference here was they had so much time to talk about it. And and like you wrote in your story, like they literally threw everything out there. It was like, is it a go? It's a strong go. But should we just kick the field goal? And they were like, yeah, maybe we'll do that. I think that was Frank's first instinct. It was. Let's just kick the field goal. And then they got with the analytics guys and then they thought about it more. And then it was like, okay, if we're going to go for it, what would our call be? And do we really like our call? And they really liked it. It was something they ran with the chargers in 2015 rivers drew it up right from memory. Right. And they hit on it. They hit on a fourth down and um, gosh, that, that, that literally could have been the game. I really think that one play was the game. The throw was a little off. I think rivers wanted it back and Pittman got a little jammed near the goal line when he was just about to break free. And if he didn't, if he didn't run into that traffic, I just watched the tape. I think he has enough room to get out there. I think he makes that catch. He made that catch all over 
the field yesterday. He made a ton of grabs like that where he was leaping and showing off his size. And we can get into him, you know, later today, later next week on the podcast. He kid's going to be a star. But that was the play. You got to make that play. And Rivers has got to make the throw. Pittman's got to make the catch. And I feel like I feel like we're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs right now and where the Colts are going in, in round two. If the game plays out the same way in the second half, that was their chance. And it's crazy. As soon as that happened in the second quarter, I said, that could have been it. That could have been the game. I've watched enough Colts games this year to know it. And it's just a shame because they they did so many things well yesterday. And that's what Rivers was so ticked about afterward. They did so many things well. So many things you have to do to win in the playoffs. And yet one goal line stand by the Bills in the second quarter essentially got them to the second round. Hmm. They didn't know it at the time, but I think that's ultimately what it was. You know, it's interesting. I, I I think when you look at it from the standpoint of risk versus reward, the reward was pretty damn good. If you, yeah, you know. Uh, now I think when they lost those three yards on third down, that did definitely change the equation, and that is why even after us previously assuming they would go for fourth down, that changed the calculus because at that point now you're like, okay, we're on the four yard line, so yeah. it's definitely a throw. It limits your options, right? It's not like, well, we could run it. No, you're not running it from the four yard line. You have to and throw Rivers, it. in unable. He's in, he's immobile. He can't move. Yes, you right. saw what Allen did on a broken play yesterday. It was the right. ugliest touchdown throw you'll ever see. But the bottom line is, that's what a mobile quarterback can do. And your options are limited with Rivers. That's just the reality. And I'm not going to get into that whole conversation today, but it's a conversation I want to have at some point. It's yeah, just what you just said. I think Philip Rivers was great this year in many ways. And I don't think there was a ton to complain about. I mean, given what we expected from Phillip Rivers versus what they got, like I think it was, I think it exceeded expectations, if you ask me. However, there are some built in issues with Phillip Rivers that you just have to contend with. And one is the mobility. And when you watch him on the other sideline versus the guy they were playing yesterday, Holy shit. <laughs> it's it's not that, that he's not as good as Josh Allen. Of course he's not. M- what I'm <laughs> saying is Josh Allen's mobility is just a complete game changer. It, I mean, his ability to throw in the run, think about how easier it is, how much easier it is to call plays <laughs> for, for that guy versus Rivers. Frank Reich, to his credit, has to circumvent his quarterback's lack of mobility. He's got to eliminate like pages of the playbook. Because you can't run it. You know what I mean? So I think that's that's a very real reality that that if you're Chris Ballard, you can't overlook that. You Correct. cannot overlook that. 100%. Let me ask you this. Since this game is so fresh in our minds, mm-hmm. did we see the ceiling for Phillip Rivers and how far he could take this team yesterday? Hmm. It's a good question. I, because he did enough to win. Is Absolutely. He did do enough to win. I, I think you can win with Phillip Rivers. I how, think the, how far can you win? Can you win right. divisional round? Because right. this team doesn't have a lot of roster holes. It's got a ton of talent. It's got four first-team All-Pros, for goodness sakes. And you're hitting the prime of Darius Leonard. You're hitting the prime of DeForest Buckner and Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly. And I could go on and on. Isn't it time to start getting better than the wild card round? Like Kenny Moore said this morning, like we're better than the wild card. You're damn right they are. But the reality is they don't have a playoff win to speak of this year because 
one of a lot of the mistakes they made yesterday, but also is this quarterback going to get them to where they need to be? And it's such a difficult situation because you don't just move on from Philip Rivers without having a plan in place. And we don't know what the plan could be, right? We don't know what the market is. We'll see what that looks like in March. But did we see as, as far as Philip Rivers can take this team yesterday? I, I will tell you this. I think the next couple of weeks will will be very interesting. When you look around the NFL at which teams are still standing next week and the week after, you know what it's going to be, okay? It's going to be the teams with the big-time quarterbacks. Now, I saw what happened with the Seahawks yesterday. I, I didn't watch the game closely, and I don't necessarily understand everything that happened, but the point is there are exceptions, right? I mean, Russ is an incredible quarterback. I don't know what, yeah. what the hell happened there. But my we were point both is, writing, to be honest. I didn't watch yeah, the I was second busy. of the Seahawks game. I didn't I finish until like 9 o'clock, yeah. Right, but my point is this. Generally, you're going to see the big-time quarterback still standing. I mean, next week you're going to see Josh Allen – and Patrick Mahomes in the AFC, among others, you know, potentially Ben Roethlisberger and, you know, or Baker Mayfield. Right. So it's going to we know it's going to be the the household names and the elite quarterbacks who are who are left. I mean, generally, the the teams that make it to those final rounds uh, without that type of quarterback, they're the exception to the rule. Like the 49ers in the Super Bowl last year with mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo, like that's that's not normal. <laughs> I mean, no, no shame on Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he's a viable quarterback, but like, you know, is he elite? No, of course not. So, I think that's what it would take. And and what did it take for that 49ers team to get there? They had to have a generational defense that played just crazy and an amazing running game, which the Colts do have. That's but, the model for me, but that's yeah. a tangent. But that's what it takes. It, it it takes you have to have everything else perfect. I mean, is that something you could rely on? Because sometimes that ebbs and flows. Defense, you know, uh, your running game and, you know, all those other things, you know. That stuff ebbs and flows. Your quarterback, generally elite quarterback, is going to have, you know, pretty even performances most of the time. And, and even if he doesn't, a la Andrew Luck, he can make up for it. And he can do just incredible things that, the average player can't do. So I just think the impact on the game that the quarterback has, it it makes it a lot tougher when you've got to overcome that position versus that position being the reason you're there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and we have to balance this conversation with Rivers made some amazing throws yesterday, and he I did. forgot a couple of them. And he's been doing that all year for most of the season. I mean, the, the sideline throws to Michael Pittman, the one to Mo Alley Cox down on the goal line, like that's big time stuff. That's what they paid him to do. That's what they were not getting last year from the quarterback spot. Rivers was not the reason they lost yesterday. But I think it's a fair conversation, and it's one we'll have in the coming weeks and months, whether whether this is the, the path you want to follow. And I also worry about this, and I want to get your thoughts on this. If he, So there's no other market for Rivers, right? I mean, barring right. a surprise entrance from another team, like – it's been very it's been made very clear that it's either he comes back for one more year and he's done or he's done right now. Like it's that simple. It's right. that black and white. And and Frank it's, is a big variable in that, right? So Frank's here, he doesn't coach another team. He coaches he coaches the Colts and, and exactly. he, he came here for Frank. There's no question. Exactly. And 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 look, Frank's had three different quarterbacks in 3 years and I get the the you know, it'd be nice to have some right uh reliability at the position. That's that's something they haven't had. And you got to weigh that in the factor as well. But I don't know about a guy who's coming back for a swan song 
how does that make you feel as a franchise? Mm-hmm. And I'm not doubting Rivers' ability to deliver in 2021, but it just makes me start to think that you're you're just how long can you kick the can down the road? How many more years can you just live with this 39 year old quarterback? It's it's just it's kind of a dangerous game to play in a lot of ways. Right. And, and I don't know what they do in the draft, and I don't know where they are in terms of. I think they're drafted 22nd. Do you move up? Do you have the firepower to do so? But there's just so much on. There's so many questions to, to tackle with a quarterback spot this spring. I will give you my two cents on that. Um, you know, because I know that wasn't the point of this podcast, but but I think it's it's important. So there's no point in avoiding it. Um, I think the, the scenario for me, right? For me, if Rivers comes back, it must be under one scenario. I think, which is you have something else cooking, and by that I mean yeah. you drafted a guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm okay with that, right? I don't think you have to draft a guy and throw him in the fire right away unless it's just obvious, right? Unless the guy is is ready to roll. But short of that, I, I don't, I'm okay with a, a rookie sitting for a year. But I think if Rivers comes back, you've got to have your, your, plan, your next step. It's got to be a guy who's in the building, in my opinion. Because I do agree with you. I think, I, I think it's, and it's tough though, because man, it's like, you know, you're thinking, all right, well, I don't want to break in some young quarterback who I, who may or may not be good when I've got DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson. I don't want to waste their time, you know, but the alternative is Phillip Rivers, who may or may not get you to the top of the mountain either. So I don't know, man. Two points I want to make on this. And, and maybe we overlooked Jacob Eason. Uh, we don't know what the yeah, guys that's really fair. think about him. He's done everything right this year. Did talk to someone close to him this morning, and, and basically, Easton's going to approach this next season as if he is going to have a chance to start. That's the that's the mindset he's going to have. I like it. Yep, that's the mindset you got to have if you're him. And maybe the Colts go make a move in the in the draft and and bring someone in. But Easton is very much there and is trying to be the guy. He wants to be the guy. He wants to have a shot in training camp. Maybe Rivers comes back and Easton's the guy in 2022. All this will be figured out. Uh, don't overlook Jacob Eason. That's that's point number one. And point number two is, if you're Chris Ballard, do you need to tell Frank that? Yeah, I know. I know you love Philip Rivers, but we we need to start thinking about where we're going to be in three years because we can't let this window close without making a run at this thing, right? Right. And I and I, there's no guarantee Philip Rivers is as good in 2021 as he was in 2020, right? You just assume he is because he's been very constant. For most of his career, he's been very consistent. However, there's no guarantee that he doesn't start to dip off. That's what happens. And when it happens, it happens fast for these quarterbacks. Remember Peyton Manning and his last year in Denver? Go back to the regular season. I mean, it it went down fast. And they were still winning games because they had a great defense. But Peyton's decline was obvious. And I'm not saying that happens with Rivers. But I'm saying you can't rule that out. And with someone at 39 years old, it has to come into the consideration. It has to come in to the conversation. Um, and, and there are limitations, like you said, and we can get into all this in the coming weeks, but there are limitations to what kind of game you can call with Rivers at quarterback. But, man, I mean, to, to overlook how accurate he was in certain spots of the game yesterday would be a disservice. And he had six drops from his receivers that did not help him, and those balls were, for the most part, very much on the money. I think in, in totality, he did everything he could do. I, I don't think you could have asked for more from a 39-year-old quarterback with no mobility. So, yeah. so I give him all the credit in the world. Like the guy far exceeded my expectations. I think in general, this was a very productive offensive team. Uh, 
I, I think in terms of passing efficiency, one of the best in the league. Yeah. He kept the interceptions down. I mean, what else did you want, right? I mean, that was – they had a season-high performance offensively in, in their biggest game of the year. They didn't lose it for that reason. So, yeah, I will, I, I'm totally good with that. To put a bow on this, I will say one thing, and I'm going to throw objectivity out the window for just a second. Philip Rivers is awesome. Like, as a, as a man, as a guy, as a quarterback, like, I got the Philip Rivers. I felt like I learned why Philip Rivers is, is so beloved by so many teammates this year. I think we got that in our interactions with him. I had the chance to talk to him on the phone a couple times. I know you did as well. Like, like I get it. Like, he made the Colts better in so many ways. And if if you disagree, like, I get you can knock him for the interceptions and all that. But, like, that dude is a football player. He made the Colts better. And they were lucky to have him this year. That was a good signing. And if they bring him back, they're going to run it back with a guy who's going to give you everything he has every single week. And there's no doubt he played a huge role in the fact that Jonathan Taylor came back late in the season and went crazy. Michael Pittman said he couldn't imagine how much he learned from Phillip Rivers this year. Like, that stuff matters. And and I saw the impact of Phillip Rivers on the Colts this year. Yeah, and I think – no matter who the quarterback is next year, I think you could run it back with Rivers and still improve the team in other ways. And I think we saw some of that yesterday. For example, uh, their their edge rush definitely is is definitely something that came home to roost. There's no question about that. Um, they, they got some pressure on Allen to their credit, and they did it with DeForest Buckner mainly, and and some some edge rush as well. But yeah, there was Muhammad no had a great day. Autry had a sack. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't not enough consistent edge rush, and and certainly they weren't able to contain him, which was something that they placed a high premium on. But that's an area where we knew they needed to improve, and that has to be a focus. So so whoever the quarterback is, that you can take that and put it aside for a second, and still say when you looked at this game, there are other reasons, or there are other ways they need to improve their team um, to to get where they want to go. So the defense. I thought generally, I don't think I had a huge problem with the defense. I just think it was some isolated plays that were killers. And yeah. it's it's Josh Allen on the move that you just can't contain. There were I, a couple of plays. Sideline throws. Oh, my like, God. The, the room for error was so small. And the Bills, the Bills kept getting those small bounces, if you will, to go their way. And it seems like the Colts didn't. Like, I watched – the tape again and that fumble that fourth quarter fumble like how close is that you know it, yeah. to the to the Colts and if they get the ball they're on the 40 with a timeout and 340 left and I gotta think the Colts move ahead if that's the case if they get that fumble recovery but it hits someone's shoe and it's just a bounce of the game but a lot of the bounces went the Bills way yeah I, I gotta tell you, Josh Allen this week has been very informative for me the past week because I watched a lot of Josh Allen just you know on tape and then in the game and I got to tell you, I heard from Frank Reich, I had a quick exchange with him last night <laughs> after the game, after his interviews, and I mentioned to him, I said, man, uh, Josh Allen, you know, that's that's the next level, huh? And he said, you know, I thought he was throwing the ball away on some of those rollouts. <laughs> I did too, Frank. <laughs> I, did. I really did. I said, thank you. I thought it was just me. They, they really thought he was throwing the ball away, and he completed two or three of those. It, it's um, it's incredible. 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 So that flick of the wrist he did in the first quarter where he didn't even have a full windup, that was just like that's one of those unteachable plays. Right. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's fun to watch that guy work. He's he's a dazzling talent. Yeah. Um, I, I think if, if we end up seeing him and Mahomes play at some point, um, I would pay money to watch that. That that would be fun. So but anyhow, it, it is what it is. I, I think offensively, 
what did we learn um, beyond the quarterback? Um, I'll tell you what I learned. Um, as you already mentioned, Michael Pittman, if he his biggest problem this year, and it was a problem at times yesterday, his biggest problem is just uh, he's a little uneven. He's he, you know it's it's a drop, it's a penalty, it's this or that. But yeah, he's a rookie. But from a talent standpoint, okay, we got something there. That kid, that kid is rolling. He has ability. And do you think he has number one wide receiver ability? Do you, so are you saying that's that? A gr- that's a great point you make. And I was asked on Wish TV this morning, like, does T.Y. Hilton come back? And we can get into all that as well. But I think it's I think it's pretty clear where this is headed. If T.Y. does come back, T.Y. he's not a number one anymore. It's I, a I secondary role. Yeah. T.Y. could be the number two. And I think it's pretty obvious who your number one is. It's number 11, Michael Pittman. He made some rookie mistakes this year, way too many penalties especially in the formation situation things, a couple drops yesterday, but dude, get that, get that kid, the ball in space. And it's, it's a 20, 30 yard chunk play. He is dripping in talent and he's got so much more to his game than I thought when I first watched his college mm-hmm. tape, he was a jump ball guy. How many jump balls did they throw him this year? That's like not zero. how they used him. <laughs> he's got so much talent and he's such a smooth runner with the football. And I could see him really exploding next season. And we talked to him after the game yesterday, and he said, I'm going to train harder than I ever have because that bitter taste was still in his mouth. And I think he got a he got a feel for the NFL this season, and he had such a weird first year, right, the COVID season. That kid could be a star. He could be a pro bowler down the line. And the other thought was, like, look at their first two draft picks from last year. I mean, throw it, throwing out DeForest Buckner as their first-round pick, which was a decent one, right? Their first two were Jonathan Taylor, who's a stud, who's a future league rushing champ. And the second one was Michael Pittman. So uh, they're the future of this Colts offense, but they're also in a lot of ways the present. Well, I'll take it a step further. I think this entire draft class or a lot of this draft class, I I think was a huge part of their success this year. I mean, look at yesterday, sixth round pick Isaiah Rogers. Are you kidding me? This kid almost made the play of the game. Okay. He damn near picks off Josh Allen in the end zone. I mean, he's he's a couple inches away from taking that away. And if he does, that's seven points off the yep. board. Seven points. They win the game, most likely, if he makes that play. And I'm not And that's him. not even to mention his his really, really nice 35-yard kickoff return. Right. 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 So I, I will tell you, I, I thought that there's a lot of promise. And and if you're a fan and you're thinking, okay, you know, how far away are we? Well, the one thing I will say is they consistently do a great job in the draft. And if they keep doing that, not to say you want to always rely on rookies, but it's the one staple I can say. It's the one thing I can say for Chris Ballard and his staff throughout their time here. Their draft classes have had immediate impact. They've done a great job. If they keep doing that, the team will keep getting better. And and it also helps you backfill guys who leave in free agency. Yeah, because they're getting to the point where they can't pay everybody. Right. And they've just drafted so well. You're starting to see guys like Darius, who will be up next year. And Walker, the 17 class, Marlon Mack, Anthony Walker, those guys you have to decide on this spring. Right. Um, if you keep drafting well, then you'll be able to survive that. That's the problem you have when you draft well. But um, we'll get into all the offseason stuff in the next couple of weeks. But you're right. I say Rogers, man. Like, where did he come from? Like, I want to see that kid in the mix next year. Like, throw him yeah. out there. And let's see if, and can, remember, see if you can take Marvel somebody's tell. Marvel Tell will That's be right. back next year as well. He sat out this year. He opted out with COVID. So, right. Um, they need more depth at corner, and, and they're going to have some guys that they're, they're going to like early on. Yeah, so it's it's funny. The, the game revealed some things, but I'll, it revealed some good and bad things, you know? Um, and that's that's kind of 
I think that's kind of what the playoffs are. I, I think you you learn a lot about your team in the playoffs. You know what I mean? This is not the Jacksonville Jaguars where, you know, you can kind of sleepwalk through the game and you figure <laughs> right. it out, right? I mean, because they, they do. They do that too much, frankly. Uh, so what'd is, you learn? Let's like let's yeah. put a bow on this. Like yeah. what'd you learn about this team yesterday? I I thought that I came away feeling like, okay, they can play with anybody. I don't know that that makes you a contender, but I I thought they could play with anybody going into the game, and they confirmed that. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is with a cleaner game and and some isolated upgrades here and there, um, I think they're a team no one wants to play, and I think they can beat anybody in the NFL. That's what I think. I think it's very clear that they're doing this the right way and they're building this team the right way, right? For stretches in that game, and I, I love the way the Bills are built and I love the way they're coached. They're, they're a team that doesn't make mistakes and it's not just Josh Allen. And to hang with that team the way they did and really dominate up front in a lot of ways. I mean, they had – the Colts had 165 yards on the ground. I mean, they, there were stretches where it felt like the Colts were winning both the defensive line and the offensive line of scrimmage. And, and that's not going to change. That's how they're going to be built. We know how obsessed Chris Ballard is with that part of the game. you got to answer the quarterback question. We know that. You saw Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman really step up, and those guys are going to be your future on offense. Uh, the Colts are coming. In a lot of ways, like Kansas City, Chris Ballard's previous stop, and I remember him telling me this a couple of years ago, like they liked Alex Smith, but they knew they had to go get a guy that could get them over the hump. I think that's where the Colts are getting to that point really good roster lots of talent not a lot of holes how do you win in this league though you take the final step with the guy the bills have the guy a lot of the teams that are going to be playing in the next couple of weeks in the playoffs have that guy at quarterback i'm not blaming the colts for getting philip rivers in this season but how long can you go until you find the guy whether it's jacob eason or somebody in this draft or who knows um but that could be the last circle they check right that could be the last one um jim mercy is preaching patience because he knows you can't get this wrong um but you can't wait that long either because these guys are too good right now not to be winning games in the playoffs so yeah that is fun playoff game yesterday but this team's ready to win they got to go find the quarterback that can help them do it yeah it's a six million dollar question i will tell you the one thing that i know for sure and we both have conversations with various people in the uh, in the organization uh, and I can tell you from those conversations, they have made zero decisions about quarterback. So I know what Frank Reich said, and he's not lying, right? When he says, I'd love to have Philip Rivers back. No, that's not a lie. It's not yeah. lip service. No, this like, is important though. Right. He loves Philip Rivers, but even Philip Rivers acknowledged, I thought yesterday without saying it that, okay, I'm 39 and this team knows they need to get younger at quarterback. So I don't know what the hell is going to happen. So I, I think no, he, was he didn't very say clear. hell because Philip no, Rivers wouldn't say that. <laughs> he would say <laughs> he would say uh, first he would say Dad Gummit and then he would say heck. Um, but no, I mean I thought he acknowledged that without necessarily saying it. I knew what he was saying. I think. Did, do you agree? I mean that that's hundred yeah. percent, and that was the first time he really alluded to that. I think and so. I had a long talk with him the week before where he was like, "Look, I'm going to want to come back. I don't think that's going to change." But Phil's smart. He's going to know. He's going to know the Colts are going to want to look at this really, really closely and figure out what their options are. But like, how many times have you been asked what they're going to do at quarterback? Like, I don't, it's a really important point you make. We don't have an answer because the literal guys that are deciding this don't have an answer. Chris Ballard and Frank Reich do not know what they're going to do yet. 
they need to sit down and start talking about this. Um, but I, I think you hit it on the head. No decision has been made. They also don't know what their options are. So, you know, it's like you can't order dinner till you look at the menu, right? So, I mean, that's, that's where they're at. They haven't seen the menu. Who, what, right. is, what is the draft pecking order? What is the landscape in terms of free agents, trades? They don't know any of that. I mean, It's all on the table, just yeah. like last year. And it should be. So so anyway, I you asked me what my takeaway is. My takeaway is that if I'm a fan, I'm a neutral observer. But if I'm a fan, and obviously I'm close to the team, but um, I I have positive vibes after that game in terms of the future. Now, I, I still have a lot of questions, and I want I want some things addressed if I'm a fan. But but those both things can be true, right? You can. And I don't think I think this is kind of one of the questions you brought up. They're not far away. No. Like, I don't mean from winning a wild card game. I mean from like competing for an AFC championship game. Yeah. It's really hard to find that last piece. Oftentimes, it's the hardest thing to do in this league. But if they get that right, it, let's say they do, like, get it right, whether it's Matthew Stafford or Darnold, whoever, then they've got just about everything you need to really make it run at some of the better teams in the AFC Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Kansas City. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just leave you with this. I mean, they got the best GM in the business. I like Chris Ballard, like personally, right? I mean, the guy is a great human being. Every time he sees me, he, he doesn't ask me, you know, what what about that story I wrote? He asked me about my family, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like he Chris he's just a good dude. However, that being said, I can take I can separate that from who the guy is. And I'm telling you, as someone who's covered this league for 16 years, the guy is absolutely the best in the business. So it could be worse. All right. I would say if you're if I'm a fan, I'm feeling pretty good about the situation. Uh, if that's the guy in charge with the resources that he has and the track record that he has, so we'll and see. And he's not going anywhere. Uh, Jim Mercer this week basically said, "Look, we're going to lock him up. We're going to lock <laughs> him up before training camp starts." And um, he's not going anywhere. And and I can promise you, Frank Reich's not going anywhere either. So yeah. um, this team, they're coming. I don't know if they're going to get there, but they're coming, and they got a big. Big question to answer this offseason. Yeah. So, hey, all I can tell you is stay tuned because uh, there will be lots to talk about in the coming months. And we'll be here. We're not going anywhere. We'll still continue our podcast throughout the offseason. There'll still be more to talk about later this week. In fact, I think we'll come back with another episode because we expect to hear from Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. And we have tons of questions for them both, obviously. So some of the things we addressed today, hopefully we can give you more insight on those at a later time. So, that's the story for right now. Um, thanks for sticking with us this season, man. You guys were great. Um, our subscribers are the best, by the way. And if you haven't subscribed, uh, it's not like the content stops now. So uh, go to uh, theathletic.com slash 1% better and uh, lots of good discounts for you available there. Tell them I sent you and Zach as well. So thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and this is 1%. Better.